For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the new moon, a spiritual picture of rebirth and restoration. This is part one of the series. In this session, we're going to be doing a teaching on the new moon, which in Hebrew is Rosh Hodesh. And two of the major themes of Rosh Hodesh or the new moon is it teaches us about rebirth and restoration. The new moon is actually a biblical festival. Why do we celebrate the new moon and what is the understanding behind it? Rosh Hodesh or the celebration of the new moon was the first commandment given by the nation of Israel when they were redeemed from Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 it is written, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, that is Aviv, shall be unto you the beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. What month is he referring to? Exodus chapter 13 verse 4. This day came you out in the month Aviv. Aviv is the biblical name for the month. The name that is also given for the month, which is of Babylonian origin, is Nisan. The biblical calendar is a lunar-based calendar. How can we understand that? Looking at Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, it says, This month, which is the Strong's number 2320, it's the Hebrew word Hodesh, which is the word word that means new moon. The word can mean new moon. It can mean month. This month shall be unto the beginning of month. Same word, Hodesh. And it shall be the first month. Hodesh of the year to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 5 it says, And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon. That's the Strong's number 2320. Notice the Strong's number 2320, Hodesh, which means new moon or month, is translated in the King James in Exodus chapter 12 verse 2 and 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 5 in a variety of ways. It's translated as this month, the beginning of months, the first month, month and the new moon. The biblical months are lunar. However, the biblical year is 
solar. If we look at Mishnah Torah, Mishnah Torah is a compilation work of Moses Maimonides who lived during the Middle Ages. And what he did is he made an effort to take all of Jewish law, that is rabbinical Jewish law, and bring it together in one document which became known as Mishnah Torah and categorize the various laws and to summarize what is said about those various laws. So this work that was brought together by Moses Maimonides, who was also known as Rambam, is referred to as Mishnah Torah. In Mishnah Torah in Chilhot Kadesh HaKodesh, which is the laws re- regarding the sanctification of the moon in chapter 1, section 1, it is written, the months of the year are lunar months as implied by Numbers chapter 28 verse 14. The burnt offering of the month when it is renewed. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 2, this month shall be to you the first of months. The biblical calendar is lunar and what we have seen so far is that the nation of Israel was commanded by the God of Israel in Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 to set up a lunar calendar and to establish in this calendar the first month as being Aviv which happens in the spring of the year. The biblical court is to be in Jerusalem. We can see this from Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 8 and then in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 6. If there arise a matter too hard for you in judgment between blood and blood, between plea and plea, between stroke and stroke, being matters of controversy within your gate, in other words, a disagreement on how you follow Torah, this is what we're commanded to do. You will arise and get thee up unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose. What is this place? In Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6, we're told that the chosen place is Jerusalem. But I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. Continuing on in Deuteronomy chapter 17, now reading verses 9 through 11, it says, And you shall come unto the priest, the Levite, and it also says, You shall come unto the judge that will be in those days. This is an allusion or reference to the Messianic era. The judge is the Messiah who will be ruling and reigning, teaching Torah from Jerusalem in those days. The Messianic era is referred to as those days. And inquire. So what this is also telling us is during the Messianic era when Messiah is here, there's still got to be issues that we have to go to him and say, how do we follow the Torah? And he will explain it to us. And they will show you the sentence of judgment. And you shall do according to the sentence which they of that place which the Lord shall choose shall show you. And you shall observe to do according to all that they inform you. According to the sentence of the law which they shall teach you and according to the sentence which they shall tell you, you shall do. You shall not decline from the sentence which they shall show you to the right hand nor to the left. This is also made mention in Mishnah Torah and the laws for sanctifying the new moon. In chapter 1 verse 8 by Moses Maimonides, he explains that the declared establishment of the new moon based upon what we just read and also from Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 can only be done from Jerusalem. The calculations in the establishment of the month in the leap years is carried out only in the land of Israel as implied by Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 which says for out of Zion shall
shall go forth the Torah and the word of God from Jerusalem. We need to understand in setting up this court, this judicial Torah-based court in Jerusalem, that there is also a heavenly court. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set before the Ancient of Days and his throne, and the books were open. So there is a heavenly court, and ultimately the supreme court of the universe is the heavenly court, of which the earthly court is to mirror and to be in consistency with. Now let's look at, given the fact that the Torah does say that there's to be a judicial court set up and it's to be in Jerusalem, let's look at the details of how that gets carried out. Ultimately, we need to make a connection with the biblical Pharisees who today have become and have survived to be what we call rabbinic Judaism or Orthodox Judaism. Let's see what Yeshua had to say about the Pharisees and let's look at their role and their place in the form of what became known as the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 16 verses 11 and 12 it says, How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of physical bread, the leaven of physical bread, but of the doctrine or the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we're going to place particular focus on the doctrine of the Pharisees. What is their doctrine? They believe in Torah, teaching Torah. How do they teach you should follow Torah? That's their doctrine. Yeshua said, beware of their doctrine. The ancient Pharisees became rabbinic Judaism. And I'm going to now share with you from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia. The Pharisees from the Hebrew parashim, from parash, meaning to separate, were depending on the time, a political party, a social movement, and a school of thought among Jews that flourished during the Second Temple era, which is regarded as 536 before the Common Era, to the year 70. After the destruction of the Second Temple, Pharisaic Judaism came to be known as Rabbinic Judaism and then simply Judaism. The Pharisees were an ancient sect of Judaism. They existed during the time of Rabbis Hillel the Elder and Shammai and during the time of Yeshua. They are the direct predecessor to what a eventually became known as Rabbinic Judaism. Continuing on regarding the Pharisees and their connection to Rabbinic Judaism, from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, it says, in contrast to other Jewish groups of the time, such as the Sadducees, Pharisees held that the books of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible, which can be referred to as the written scriptures, have always been transmitted in parallel with a oral tradition. They 
point as proof to the text of the Torah itself where they say many words were left undefined and many procedures mentioned without explanation or instruction. The reader is assumed to be familiar with the details from other sources. This parallel set of material was originally transmitted orally and came to be known as the oral law. By the year 200, much of this material was edited together, that which was supposedly taught orally, into what became known as the Mishnah, the core document of Rabbinic Judaism. Now, looking at the Talmud, the Mishnah is contained within the Talmud. In Baraholtz chapter 19a, it says that you could be excommunicated for not washing your hands. Rabbi Joshua, son of Levi, further said, in 24 places we find that the Beit Din, which is the judicial court, inflicted excommunication for an insult to a teacher, and they are all recorded in the Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer asked him where. He replied, see if you can find them. And he went and examined and found three cases. One of a scholar who threw contempt on the washing of the hands. In other words, he questioned it. Another of one who made derogatory remarks about scholars after their death. And a third of one who made himself too familiar toward heaven. Continuing on in Barahot 19a, it was Eliezer, son of Hanak, who raised doubt about washing the hands. And when he died, the Beit Din, the judicial court, sent and had a large stone placed on his coffin to teach you that if a man is excommunicated and dies in his excommunication, in other words, he didn't repent from questioning the washing of hands, the Beit Din, the rabbinical court, stone his coffin. The oral law therefore teaches that you must wash your hands before you eat. Now, with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 39. And as he spake a certain Pharisee besought him, that is Yeshua, to dine with him. And he went in and he sat down to meet or he sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. In other words, in his mind, he's not following the Torah, but actually that is oral Torah. That's not written Torah. And the Lord said unto him, now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup. In other words, you're washing externally, but inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. In other words, your heart is still sinful, but you're trying to be meticulous externally and saying, I'm keeping the commandment. Now, another thing to understand about rabbinical Judaism, because Messiah said, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Rabbinical Judaism teaches that their rulings are greater than even the voice of heaven. And this comes from the Talmud in Baba Metziah 59b. It has been taught on that day, Rabbi Eliezer brought forward every imaginable argument regarding an issue that they were debating, but they, meaning the other rabbis, did not accept his rationale and his argument. Said he to them, that is Rabbi Eliezer saying to the, all the other rabbis, if the halakha, in other words, if the correct understanding of following Torah is agreeable to my position, let the carob tree prove it. Thereupon the carob tree was torn a hundred cubits out of its place. Others affirm four hundred cubits. In other words, the carob tree did react and do it. And they replied to him, no proof can be brought from a carob tree. Doesn't make any difference if the carob tree reacted. Again he said to them, if the halakha agrees with me, let the stream of water prove it. Whereupon the stream of water flowed backwards. What they said, no proof can be brought from a stream of water. They rejoined. So the carob tree is showing that Rabbi Eliezer is right. The water is showing that he's right. But the rabbi said, it doesn't make any difference. Again he said to them, if the halakha agrees with me, let it be proved.
roof from heaven, whereupon a heavenly voice cried out and said, Why do you dispute with Rabbi Eliezer, seeing that in all matters the halakha agrees with him? The heavenly voice says, Hey, Rabbi Eliezer is right. And then Rabbi Joshua rose and exclaimed, It, the interpretation of the Torah, is not in heaven. But what did he mean by this, said Rabbi Jeremiah, that the Torah had already been given at Mount Sinai. We already know everything that was said, both written and orally. We pay no attention to a heavenly voice because you have long since written in the Torah at Mount Sinai. And this is their, once again, their interpretation. After the majority of rabbis, you must listen or accept their rulings. In other words, if the majority of the rabbis say it's this way, then it doesn't make any difference. What a heavenly voice says, you listen to the majority. So therefore, Rabbi Eliezer's opinion had no merit, even though it was all validated that it did have merit. Rabbinical Judaism teaches that when two rabbis have different opinions, that both opinions are to be regarded as having authority. In the Talmud, in Aravim 13b, it says, Rabbi Abba stated in the name of Samuel, for three years there was a dispute between Bet Shammai, the house of Shammai, and Beit Hillel, the two primary schools of the sects of Pharisaic Judaism in the first century. The former asserting the Halakha is in agreement with our views, and the latter saying no, the Halakha is in agreement with our views. Then a bot kol or a heavenly voice issued announcing the utterances of both are the words of the living God, but the Halakha is in agreement with the rulings of Beit Hillel. In other words, they're saying that the heavenly voice said, Hillel is right, but listen to both of them, even though one's wrong. They're saying that you need to listen to two different opinions, even though they are different from each other, and one is incorrect. Yeshua referred to the leaven of the Pharisees is, among other things, hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they tread one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, they say you need to follow and do all these things, but they themselves don't do it. That's hypocrisy. Among the other things that Yeshua made mention of among the Pharisees is that they sought status among men. Luke chapter 11, verse 43. Woe unto you Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Now we need to understand the meaning of the phrase, the seat of Moses, because this has got to relate to making judicial rulings regarding the Torah, which the Torah says is to be done from Jerusalem. In Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 16, we can see what the seat of Moses is referring to. It came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. Moses is sitting to judge the people. This is the seat of Moses. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. Why are they doing this? When Moses' father-in-law, that's Jethro, saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that you do to the people? Why do you sit yourself alone and all the people stand by you from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Jethro, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. In other words, how to follow the commandments of God. When they have a matter of how you follow the commandments, they come unto me and I judge between one another and I make them know the statutes of God in his Torah. So this is how you get the phrase Moses' seat is the people came to him to inquire, how do we follow the commandments? And Moses is acting as the judge and saying, this is how you do it. Rabbinical Judaism teaches that they sit in the seat of Moses. In other words, they have the authority to make rulings 
that are to be followed according to the Torah given by the God of Israel. In the Talmud, in Rosh Hashanah 25a, it says, Rabbi Akiva went to Rabbi Joshua and he said to him, I can bring proof from the scripture that whatever Rabban Gamaliel has done, and he was in charge of the rabbinical court and made various decisions, therefore, is valid. He, Rabbi Joshua, then went to Rabbi Dosa, son of Harkonnes, who said to him, if we call in question the decisions of the Beit Din or the rabbinical court of Rabban Gamaliel, in other words, if they at court made a decision and we question them, he says, we must call in question the decisions of every Beit Din, which has existed since the days of Moses up to the present time. For it says, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel. Exodus chapter 24, verse 9. In other words, what he's saying is, we can't question any ruling that has ever been made, because if we question the ruling, that invalidates our doctrine that everything has been faithfully transmitted from Moses. So we can't question what their ruling is. So they see that their rulings are the authentic rulings of how to follow the Torah, which means they're saying that they sit in the seat of Moses. Now let's look at a first century Torah controversy and see how it was resolved. In Acts chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're given an interpretation of Torah. And they said, This is my understanding of Torah. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Then it goes on, Wherefore when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words they were arguing the matter about what the Torah actually said, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Notice they were following Torah. The Torah says in Deuteronomy 17 if there's an issue of controversy you go to Jerusalem. So what did they do? They went to Jerusalem. Did they go to inquire of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem? No, they went to inquire in Jerusalem of the apostles and elders who were believers in Yeshua the Messiah and they accepted their rulings as following Deuteronomy chapter 17. So they went to Jerusalem according to Deuteronomy 17, 8 through 11. They did not inquire of the rabbinical Sanhedrin regarding this issue. They did inquire of the apostles and elders in Jerusalem who were followers of Yeshua the Messiah. So they didn't recognize as the Sanhedrin Sanhedrin being the legitimate judicial court that Deuteronomy 17 referred to. Did Yeshua teach that you should follow the Pharisees, which means follow rabbinic Judaism or the interpretation of Orthodox Judaism? Well, initially when you look at Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 3 in the English, that is on the surface what it appears to say. But if you cross-reference with these other things that we've been looking at, when he said beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees, that the two don't link up with each other. So let's examine this more closely. In Matthew 23 verses 1 through 3, then spake Yeshua to the multitude and his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, sitting in Moses' seat means they are making judgments regarding the Torah. Were the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin doing that? Yes, they were. That's a statement of fact. They were doing that. Then, here's the verse in question. It says, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that 
you observe and do. Apparently, he's saying that you should follow the Pharisees. But earlier, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The two seems to be contradictory statements. Then he goes on to say, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. So he apparently is saying, yes, follow what they rule, but don't do what they do. That's what it appears to be saying. But is that really how we need to understand what is being said there? In order to unravel what this is really saying, we need to go to a original source or a source that is based upon original publications. It is believed that the original Gospel of Matthew was written in Hebrew. Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, The New Moon, a spiritual picture of rebirth and restoration. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.